my advice and and i didn't know why i left and that was the reason why i did not go to shelters because i couldn't pinpoint why i left a million and one times i left in a hospital i left in an ambulance you know i left you know walking i love crawling i love whatever but i don't know why it was that time but now i honestly believe that the reason why i left was because i decided to listen to my gut what's going on guys welcome back to another episode of science and statement podcast I'm one of your hosts, Austin, and along with me, we have my mom, Kathy. Hi, everybody. Welcome tonight. Well, today, we're recording this at night, but I have a person that works with me. Her name is Kim, and she has a very unique story. So how we heard about her story is we were in the office one day, and we just started talking, and she's as passionate about her topic as I am about drug addiction. I asked her to come on because I believe that her passion is going to help. Her story is going to help somebody out there for sure. Kim, our goal is always just to help one person. And I believe that your story is going to help more than one person. We talked a little bit about your topic uh, with another individual, but not in depth the way that you can experience um, and share with us. So welcome, Kim. And we can get started. Anything that you want to share before you start your story, and you can start your story anywhere that you want. <laughs> But thank you for having me. Um, I don't know where to begin. Um, my story took place many years ago, I think. Um, so I don't want to jump around too much. Um, I am a survivor of abuse. I would say for over eight years, married 10, you know, um, and I believe physical abuse is something that gradually comes into the relationship. Not that you automatically walk in, you meet somebody and all of a sudden they start, you know, physically abusing you. It rarely happens that way, but mine happened gen, you know, just, um, gradually, you know, uh, you can't talk to certain friends, you know, you can't go anywhere. You can't have your own money. You know, you don't have access to the keys to your own house, things like that. So it took a long time to know that that was not right for me, you know? So I think by telling my story, I think I, I wish to reach other women to let them know that one, they're not alone and that um, some of us have the same stories that just need a different ending, you know? And mine, I could say, is a positive ending. And I think any ending, not in those physical Abuse relationships is a better ending. Awesome. So Kim's going to tell us a little bit about what she went through. Yep. So I was uh, 15 when um, I met my first husband. And um, like I said, it gradually started with um, after I had my first son, I turned 16 in March. And then my first son was born in April. And then we got married in July. So my mom signed rights over to me. So it was little by little. Um, when I brought my son home from the hospital, uh, I noticed that my ex-husband went to the closet and he started taking my clothes out and I'm thinking, oh, you know, he's going to, you know, organize the closet for the baby's things <laughs> to fit in it and stuff. And he takes all my jeans and he puts them in a trash bag and he literally throws them in the trash. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? And he's like, well, women who have babies don't wear pants. So I had to wear skirts 
for what? yes for the rest. I never heard of that. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think he derived that from the Pentecostal religion okay. from back in the days. Okay. Almost, you know, um, an Amish or Mennonite in our okay. culture, in our you know nationality. But um, I'm like, okay, so that was that, and then little by little, it just. It went on. It took my friends, you know, I don't want you talking to this person and I don't want you to do that and stuff, you know. So it took, um, we, we moved out of our first apartment into a house and within a year I was pregnant with my second, my second child was my daughter and stuff. But then the physical abuse came in, you know, if you didn't sweep the floor in the direction he wanted the floor to be swept, you know, he would hit you. And it wasn't necessarily my face, but he would just hit me in the same spot, like in my leg at the same time, over and over and over again. And I'm strong-willed, and I held it in as much as possible till you break down, you know? So then um, there's nothing else you could do. Just accept the abuse and, I guess, sweep from the other direction and stuff. So it went on, and I left him many, 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 many a times, and I became very, very familiar with the people at the shelters, you know, and if anybody's familiar with shelters, it's a hit or miss. So, you know, you know, you never want to wish that the abuse happens earlier in the day so that you can have a bed at the shelter. But sometimes it, um, the same argument would lead on for days and days and days, you know, and you just wish that they would wake up in a better mood, you know, and then you start doubting yourself. Like, do I really need to you know, sweep in the wrong direction or the right direction. If the kitchen is clean, does it make a difference in what direction the dirt flows? Did you ever say that to him? No, you didn't dare question because he would stay up all night long, literally all night long. You would stand there and he was like, oh, you know, same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And then it just got to the point to where I'm stuck in the house. I have two kids that are crying constantly. They have no human interaction. Nobody comes to our house because they already know how he is, you know, or he just doesn't open the door, you know, and then you're just stuck in the house constantly, constantly, constantly. The kids are crying and their ear infections and things like that. He comes home from work. He gets stressed, leaves, and he goes out with his friends constantly, you know, so couple years after that, three years exactly, I had my third child from him and stuff. And by that time, I'm completely exhausted, absolutely exhausted. I've been in and out of the hospital. I had my shoulder dislocated because he pushed me and my shoulder hit the doorway. Um, and then... Did you ever tell anyone when you went to the emergency room? I did not. I didn't. So you made excuses when they asked? Yes. Yep. I mean... It was amazing that the neighbors never interrupted, you know what I mean? Because they had to hear the cries for help and things like that, you know. And then the shelters, I would be an open book. I would just tell them everything, you know. Of course, they take pictures of, you know, your bruises and things like that. And, and like I said, you can stay there for a certain amount of time, but it's not a lifestyle, you know. It's not a ongoing thing. So just to sidetrack a minute, the shelter, if they were full... Did they find somewhere for you to go or did they turn you away? They would turn me away. Yeah. So if and they would, they would exonerate every aspect they would have because there's okay. a shelter, you know, on Market Street, you know, and there's other shelters around. And at one time, I actually had them um, transfer me to Gettysburg. So they put me on a, on a 
a bus. They got me a bus ticket. I was pregnant at the time for my third child. And then um, my, I took my son and my daughter and they sent me to a house in Gettysburg. But I was over there. There was nobody in that house. It wasn't like here, like in the shelters in York, you're around other women, you know, you're around the experience and you can share, you know, what happened. And I'm, I'm a true believer that when you have that deep pain in your chest and every time you think about it, you want to cry. But if you keep talking about it, that pain subsides slowly, no matter what it is. It could be a car accident. It could be a DUI. It could be a loss of a cat, a mother or, or, or somebody, you know, and that pain would go away the more you talk. But I'm sitting in Gettysburg and there's nobody in there. Like the alarm is on. You're not allowed to leave the building. And if you do, you have to hit a buzzer to ask them if you can go to the supermarket. So I stayed up there for about a week and then no contact with anybody. Like I didn't tell my mom, I didn't tell my sisters, I didn't tell anybody. And then I was with two kids carrying groceries from the supermarket walking. And then I started, you know, spotting, bleeding and stuff like that. So I had no choice but to call my husband and go back again because my mom, she didn't, she didn't protect me from him. Like when I would go to her house after I remember one time he, um, I was beaten black and blue and I took the kids when he was in the shower and I left. I got chased by three like uh, Doberman pictures for like two blocks. <laughs> <laughs> so I got quick from, to my mom's house a little bit quicker that time. And I got to the door and my mom opens it. And I remember the look on her face. She goes, come on in, you know, we'll call your husband. Exactly what she said to me. And I knew at that point in time, there's no way in hell I would ever do that to my kids never there's no way there's no reason or for any reason for somebody to put their hands on you there's did he no. ever touch your children no just and you. that's why i lost custody i ended up losing custody of two of my children when i finally left so let's talk about that so all this abuse went on you had your third child yep and then what happened after that um I started babysitting for a friend of mine. She didn't have a babysitter. She was a mutual friend of ours and stuff, and she would come by every day. And I remember two days before, I think it was on a Friday, so she came Monday to drop her son off. I had a black and blue eye and a busted lip, and I was the ultimate makeup artist, you know? You just cover it up with so much makeup and cake it on and things like this, you know? I always walked around with blue eyeshadow on all times of the day because that was what matched my bruises and stuff. But she was a dumb. She knew, you know. And when she came, she seen my face in the morning. And she goes, oh, I get off early today, you know. And I said, okay, I'll have him ready. And um, when she came back, I looked at her. And she looked at me like she knew. And I'm like, I'm leaving with you. So I ran upstairs. He, my husband's sitting right on the sofa. And I grabbed clothes. My, I think my son was about nine months old, the younger one. And I just grabbed clothes, a trash bag of clothes, and I left with her. And then I guess he thought I was just going to be back the next day or whatever. So he called, you coming back? No. And it, it was no, no. And I never went back. I never went back. But going through um, leaving, being married, um, he said he was going to bring my daughter the next day um, because my older son had school, you know. Um, my daughter did not, but they were really close and stuff. So he said, well, when I take the older one to school, then I'll bring you your daughter the next day. That never happened. So by the time I got in contact with him, I had already got served with um, papers. They served with uh, me from the courthouse, the sheriff's office with abandonment. 
So I lost custody of my two older children, and I had full custody of my younger one. So he didn't want the youngest one just because he was so young? Probably. He was still in diapers and things like okay. that. He never helped with the kids. Like, it was hard. Like, you had to get up in the morning and make breakfast and iron clothes and cook. I guess that's why I'm such a multitasker, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> One of the positive <laughs> things out of this is because, you know, um, he literally just sat there and you had to iron everybody's clothes, wash everybody's clothes, you know, change all the diapers, bathe all of them and things like that, you know? So he never helped. And I, I never went back. I mean, it it was a life-changing experience. I remember putting pants on for the first time after not wearing pants for eight years. And it felt really weird to me, you know? really weird but when I left I found out I was pregnant again for the fourth time so I, I there is no way there was no way in this world I could ever bring another child into this mess it was a mess you know so I um I went back to the shelter and they had said to me that um they would give me money for an abortion and they gave me I think it was like 450 dollars or whatever so I had to go to the doctors and see f how far you are, you know, and I just prayed because I can't do that. That's not me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You're, you're stuck in a situation of, you know, do you want to bring a child into a relationship where I'm now sleeping in my mom's back room, you know, just now getting on my feet, you know, I didn't have a diploma because when I got married to him, he signed me out of school. So there was nothing I could do. And I'm here, like, never worked before, and I'm like, okay, you know, where do you go from here? So I took the $450, and I made the appointment. But the night before the abortion, I wrote a letter because I couldn't do it. Like, I said if I had the strength to go through it, I'd probably kill myself afterwards. Just because... That child deserved better than that, you know what I mean, mm -hmm. and more from me, and I can't even barely take care of myself, you know, and he already had a place to stay, and he already had a roof, he already had a car, he already had work experience, you know, he didn't need anything, I needed everything and stuff, so I wrote the letter. And um, my appointment was on Tuesday, so Monday morning I got up, and I was an avid smoker at that time. <laughs> I just smoked, like, <laughs> smoked back to back, you know, I quit smoking since then, but... um I woke up and I go downstairs for my morning cigarette and I just like in awe, like you're numb because you don't know what the decision is going to be. You, I'm not suicidal, but like I said, what are your choices? You know, mm -hmm. I don't know if God would forgive me for taking somebody else's life, no matter how hard the circumstances is. And that may not work for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I'm not downing that yep. at any point in time. That didn't work for me. So uh, when I stood up, my pants were completely covered in blood. So I went to the bathroom and like a mask came out and I called my mom and I ended up going to the hospital and God works in mysterious ways. He knew that I was going to end my journey for something I had no control over. And I'm like, it's, it's crazy. It was really, really crazy. That gave me the strength to be the best person that I could ever be, you know, and that God was a took blessing. away that decision for you. He made that decision for you. Yeah. And the, the prayer, um, I don't know it by heart, the one where he says, you only see one set of footprints in the sand. Oh, yeah. That was him. You know what I mean? Like, I don't go to church on a regular basis, but I believe there's a God and I believe that 
he hears you, you know, and you might not see it today or tomorrow, but down the line, you know that you were not alone. And at that moment, I was not alone. So when I crossed that barrier and I took the money back to the shelter because I knew there was a woman out there who was probably more in need than me. And they're like, keep it, get your own apartment, get on your feet, you know, get situated and things like that. So, and I struggled, I struggled being a single parent, you know, um, with relationships, you know, not with any significant others, but with my children, I wasn't, even though there was a court order, I wasn't allowed to go see my kids. And when I would go over there, he wouldn't open the door. You know, I missed so many birthdays, so many, you know, special occasions, you know, mother and daughter relationship. My daughter and I, I think we still struggle on a, on a minor basis now, you know, but not on a, not on a degree of when we did, you know, so I'm glad that, you know, I got past that, you know, and I just wish that um, everybody knew that there is a way out of this, you know. Did you feel like you had to defend yourself to friends, like when they asked you where your chi- your children were? Did you feel like you had to say, or did you even share with people why you left? Many of my friends already knew some of us, like the ones that we knew when we were together, they just didn't really mention it, you know? So for the the years that I was away from my husband, he made them believe I ran off with somebody else, which wasn't true. And that I ran off because I smoked crack. And I can honestly say I've never done that before. So I think that was his lies what made him feel better, you know. Okay. Um, none of it was, was true. Um, and to this day, I think he still struggles with just flat out saying that I was wrong and I was abusive. I haven't talked to him many years. There's no need for me. You know, our children are adults now and you communicate with them. I have since forgiven because I know that on earth I'm here to gain my wings you know what I mean Mm -hmm. I'm here to help anybody that's there and needs help and me holding that grudge and that anger in there would not allow me to honestly face my God my Lord and say I'm here for you wholeheartedly I can't say that and then you know talk bad about him or Mm -hmm. you know or be angry at what you know what happened you know I think that um our kids have permanent damage some in some ways but I don't um I don't hate I don't hate him you know what I mean I just I wish I just wish that if anybody had any questions or concerns or needs you know they reach out to anybody anybody they they have to reach out to if it's the shelter if it's a friend or anybody would that would that be your advice to anybody going through this situation right now well, I thought about this for many years because uh, another friend of mine, she had asked me, Kim, you know, you want to go to the shelters and speak out? Because I remember being at the shelter one time and we at, at night you have to do your duties. You know, you have to, somebody cleans the kitchen, somebody cooks, you know, your kids have to be in bed by eight, you know, and then we go downstairs and then we, we talk, we talk about our situations. We talk in, openly. And I remember the director at that time came in and they covered like a 12 foot table with articles and in those articles were people that had been killed by a significant other, your husband, your sister, your mom, your dad. And it was shocking because it's, it's a visual where you have all these papers and these are people that we love. We've given them all of our, our souls. We've shared things that we don't share with other people. They know everything about us, but yet they've killed each other or one of the, of the other. And that was a, an eye-opening experience to me. 
my advice and, and I didn't know why I left. And that was the reason why I did not go to shelters because I couldn't pinpoint why I left a million and one times I left in a hospital. I left in an ambulance, you know, I left, you know, walking, I left crawling, I left whatever, but I don't know why it was that time. But now I honestly believe that the reason why I left was because I decided to listen to my gut. Every person, male or female, if your husband or girlfriend gets dressed, they're covering the perfume, like, oh, I'm going to go in the supermarket, and your gut says, oh, something's not right. You know, we, we ignore it, you know. Mm-hmm. As humans, we're like, yep. no, she or he won't do that. That's not possible. It's not possible. When you listen to your gut, now I'm not saying go wholehearted crazy and start <laughs> investigating and following and searching their phone and things like that, but your gut does not lie. If your gut is telling you that being in a relationship where somebody controls 90% of what you, who you are and tells you how to think and how to talk and how to act, then your gut is telling you the truth. And we need to not ignore that. We really need to listen to that and know that, you know, this is not right. No matter what situation is, it is. You know, going into somebody's house that, oh, this is my friend's house, you know, she's on vacation. Your gut's telling you in the same right you're supposed to leave, you know, in an abusive relationship or anything. Yeah. You said that a lot of things you didn't have control over. What things did you have control over? I could honestly tell you the meals that I cooked, which was his palate of food. Because um, I remember several times he would put fold pieces of paper and he would put them in the door and he would leave. And he would, if that piece of paper wasn't in the door when he came home, I would be questioned. So, of course, the mailman comes around and some mailman will just put the mail in the slot in the screen door. But this mailman opened the door and put the mail in the door door and I literally was looking out the peephole and I seen the piece of paper fall and it was the most horrifying and hopeless feeling I've ever had in my entire life like how do I get that piece of paper exactly back into the door where he put it and how it was folded and I did nothing wrong I did nothing wrong So he accused me that my older son was um, my brother. My brother has been openly gay for as long as I've known him, (laughs) and he's way older than me. And he said that he had a dream one night that I was playing cards naked in the bed with my brother. So my older son is his. And then years after that, um, his brother came, and the screen door was locked, but the door was open. And I think he was in a shower or something. And he knocked on the door and I opened it. He handed me a screwdriver he had borrowed from his brother. And I shut the door, locked it, put the screwdriver, you know, on the table. And all of a sudden now my daughter, he's the father of my daughter. Okay. And then, um, yeah, my younger son is somebody else's, um, a friend of theirs is there, you know, and, and you just wonder like, why are you going through all this fictitious, you know, issues or saying what makes you feel better when there's no logic behind it whatsoever. You know what I mean? There was, there was none, there's none whatsoever, but yet you kept those kids away from their mother for eight years. The ones that aren't your kids, you know? Exactly. So did he drink 
or did he use drugs during this time or no? On and off. He would drink on the weekends, not an alcoholic. Alcohol was never at home. And I remember a period of time where I think all of him, his brother, and a few of his friends experimented with crack. Um, but crack wasn't something that you could buy at that time. So you okay. had to buy Coke. And I remember, you know, he would come home and he made me cook the crack for him. Like I had no clue what this is, you know. So I had to sit there um, in a nightgown and baking soda whatever and on a spoon and cook this crack and then he would take my nightgown off and lock me in the living room closet until he was done he would smoke it out of a can and I remember I had to sit there and burn cigarettes as well I didn't smoke at that time but I had to sit there and keep blowing on the cigarette to get the ashes he used the ashes for something when that and I, I just I'm like okay that was so distant for me like at that time I was so numb there were so many years of my life that I was numb to the point to where what's next you know I don't even care you know what's next the kids are upstairs they're sleeping he would be in his underwear or on the floor looking for little pieces of white stuff after he smoked this crack because I guess he thought he dropped some of it whatever but then he would like pass out for like 12 hours and that was my time to get showered you know get organized get my sanity back check on my kids feed my kids and things like that but I he just controlled everything he really did there was I had no money and lots of times he said real women um deserve pads he wouldn't even allow me to buy personal items so I remember I would um I came up with a technique to where you would cut the kids's pamper in half because it had the cotton mm -hmm. filling in it and then I would tape the sides of it and then that's what I would use for my personal items because he wouldn't buy them you know and what do you do at this time you've alienated alienated everybody from you your friends you know your family and things like that so you, you couldn't call somebody and say hey can you bring me pads or or anything you know I remember a couple of times I purchased some from like a McDonald's when I went into the bathroom and you put a quarter, a quarter. yeah and just buy them and, and hide them but for what you know never made sense to me so you mentioned one thing that you learned from this experience is positive. What what are some other things that you learned from this whole experience, the positive things? I've learned multitasking, as I mentioned Yeah, earlier. multitasking. Um, I've learned that um, time is very precious. Like I'm, I still find myself trying to make up for the eight years that I wasn't there for my daughter and, and my son and things like that, you know. But then I realized that um, besides that, I I would never allow for my children to go through this and um I think the best thing is that I would now never allow it again like yeah. it, it it approached me um the person I started to date after my husband I left him I told him you know I was in an abusive relation you know he hit me and he did this and he did that and stuff like that and for the first couple of months it was fine and then one night I went out um, to a club with his sister and um, he was working and when I came home to my mom's house he was sitting on the front porch and I'm like hey I'm like I didn't know you were going to be here and he waited for his sister he saw his sister drop me off and he's like oh you know they told me you were dancing with this person, that person. I'm like, mm, no. And he swung at me. He swung at me and I stepped back. And now I was like in awe. 
Like, I'm like, if you knew I went through this for eight years, mm -hmm. why would you swing at me? So when he saw the look on my face, he tried to hug me. I pushed him away, went in the house, locked the door. They didn't talk to him for a week. I literally had his bank card that had over two grand in it, which is not a lot of money, but to him it was. The change of clothes, and at that time, a Walkman, so that tells you how old I was. <laughs> <laughs> and I made my mind, I'm like, forgive him. Forgive him? Like, nope. Nope. A week or two later, I went to his mother's house unannounced, knocked on the door. I got called every name in the book, but there were people there, so I mm -hmm. knew he wasn't going to hit me in front of them. And I walked up to his mom, and I said, it was nice meeting you. It was nice knowing you. And I said, here are the stuff. And he was like, all my effing money better be on there, la, la, la. And she was like, oh, stay for coffee, you know, have a cigarette. And he took his bank card, went across the street, and realized all his money was still there. Every penny of it. Every penny of it mm -hmm. was there. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Nope. And then I realized that not everybody has your best interest at heart. Not everybody, that there are people that use your weaknesses against you. So women that have been in abusive relationships, when you're being honest with somebody that you just met, hoping that they would take care of you, there are actually people out there that are looking for people like you to pawn on. Oh, Kim left. Her husband hit her for eight years. Kim left her husband, you know, do this, you know, control her, you know, whatever, cheat on her and things like this. I can do the exact same thing. They don't have your best interest at heart. So I think being able to help people and I've, I can honestly say that I've helped two people. I can honestly, out of relationships that were not good for them. So out of this, I can help somebody else survive another night, yep. another week, another month, whatever it may be, or, and be a better mom and be a better person. Yep. That's my answer. And that's why she, she shared this with me in the office. I mean, we had tissues and we cried and, and there's a lot, a lot to her story and it's impactful. It is. Uh, yeah. I'm sitting here and listening. It's, it's pretty impactful. And she's a strong, beautiful person now who gives everything to everyone. So let's just fast forward. So let's talk about where you're at today. I want to lead into that. Oh, okay. So you talked about all these past relationships that you had that basically destroyed you. Mm -hmm. And so how do you move forward with love? How do you allow, so for all your life, you've known nothing but destruction and love and stuff like that. So how do you move forward as far as allowing love back in your life? How do you open back up trust. to trust and allow that back in your life? Because from my experience, I know with one of the relationships I had early in my life back in high school, I dated a girl for a month and I, I was completely destroyed after she broke up with me. So like ever since that, it's, it's hard for me to, to get into another relationship. It's hard for me to open up. So what, what would be, have you found yourself or tools to help you open up to love? Um, one of the classes that we had at the shelter, and there are many, many, many knowledgeable people at shelters. They're normally, you know, 90% of them are from abusive relationships, no matter if it's a father, daughter, mother, daughter, or husband and wife. 
they said, why would you punish somebody else for something that somebody else did? I, I, I cannot punish anybody from my future for what he did to me. And I think the determination to be a better person, to be able to walk down the street and I see the person that I return his money, you know, his card to, I can hold my head up. I didn't steal your money, although you deserve for me to take your money. An eye for an eye does does not fix the problem. You're still hollow inside. So a few relations after my husband, you know, I always thought I could fix somebody. This person's down on their luck. They're mm -hmm. living in their mom's basement. They don't have a job. They don't have a car. So they drove my car around with somebody else in it, <laughs> you know, and, and you learn from that. And then um, I had a friend, a good friend of mine, um, Brenda, I'll say her name. She she said to me one time after I broke up with my one boyfriend and because um, he had a baby mama that came to visit my house and I, I didn't love him. I can honestly say I didn't love him. I think he was just a time thing, you know, we're here, we're there, whatever. And she said, why do you think you need a man to be somebody? And me, my big mouth, I'm like, I don't need anybody, you know, and then I go home. I worked third shift at Walmart. I was a manager at Walmart. And I thought about it, and I'm like, she's right. You you go from one broken relationship. You're not looking for anybody for qualifications. I never looked for anybody that had a nice bank account, had a nice car. It, actually, when somebody tried to date me, they actually intimidated me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, no. Nah. And I thought all I could give somebody was to help them, but all they were doing was using me, you know? Mm -hmm. So I stayed single. I stayed single, and I was proud of it. I was buying my house. I had my own car. I had money in the bank. I did me. I went where I went, and I came home and whatever. When I met my husband, um, I had known him. I knew all his family from the past and stuff, you know, you know, moments and stuff. And um, I'm like, I'm nine years older than my husband. So <laughs> I remember... Um, seeing him at the club and he was there and we always everybody in the neighborhood always wanted to say hi to, you, to my husband because he always smelled so good he always smells so, <laughs> so we would joke about it like oh let's cross the street here he comes like we could just smell his cologne and so i seen him at the club and i was with my friend and she's like oh go ask him to dance i said like, oh no i said his baby mom's gonna beat me up in the <laughs> <laughs> i'm not for that <laughs> So then he came over to me, and he was with another mutual friend of ours, and he was like, oh, you want to dance? And I said to him, I said, your baby mom's not going to beat me up. <laughs> and he's like, you know, we've been separated. And so we danced and stuff, and then um, a couple of days later, I saw his cousin, and I gave his cousin my phone number, and I said, oh, can you have, you know, uh, Jonathan, give me a call. And he never gave him the message. <laughs> he never gave him the message. So I see Jonathan down in a um, mutual place that we all hung out, um, and uh my kids' uncle needed a ride to Walmart. He needed a pair of steel-toed boots yeah. to go to work. So me and another girl, my husband, and my kids' uncle jump in the car. We go to Walmart, and my husband is, like, bumping into me. And, and I'm looking at him like, you didn't call me back. You never <laughs> called me. <laughs> and he's like, I got to talk to you. And my mindset was, he's going to say, you're too old for me. You know, I was already married, divorced. I had three kids. You know, he had two kids. And um, I, I, I th that was my mindset. And he kept bumping into me and stuff like this. He goes, oh, we need to talk. And, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, he's going to come out with some excuse, you know, that let's just be friend thing and stuff. So then we went out 
to we all stop at the uh, Hardee's on the way back and he said you know I want to talk to you and I'm like go ahead and I talked for him you know you shouldn't do that (laughs) you really shouldn't talk for somebody when you're beginning a relationship you should honestly get to know them first so yeah he's he he, you know ended up asking me to go out with him and stuff but we kept our relationship on the downline because I, I never when you have children, you're not always willing to introduce them to somebody else. You know what I mean? I, I dated a, a, a guy one time, and he never met my kids. I never let my kids around him, you know. Okay. One, because when you have a daughter, you just don't let every Joe Schmo around your kids and stuff. But, yeah, 21 years I've been married to my husband now. And I can honestly say he's never called me out of my name. And he's never, ever, you know, put his hands on me and... I think we've had three, maybe four arguments, you know, <laughs> through throughout the years and stuff. No marriage is perfect. It, it's not, but I don't ever have to say that I felt uncomfortable or I hid anything from him. I'm not afraid to tell him that I'm here tonight or if I'm going anywhere or what I'm doing. I've never have to live in fear, and I'm and I'm glad that I'm blessed with that now, mm-hmm. you know. And I think everybody deserves the the peace. It's the peace of mind. You know, you don't have to watch what you're saying. You don't have to. I could tell you when I was married to my first husband, everybody's shoes. I can tell you every pair of shoes in the room because I wasn't allowed to make eye contact. But I couldn't tell you if somebody had a scratch on their eye or the color of their eyes. I always stared at their shoes. Had full conversations with people staring at their shoes. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. What else? I just want to get into, so Kim's helping people. You said you helped two people. Mm-hmm. Um, and she shared with me a little bit at lunchtime today. We were talking on the phone about this evening. Obviously, we need more awareness to this, um, especially now with COVID, because people are not out in the public. Mm-hmm. And so you see on Facebook and things like that, like there's codes that you use, like I need makeup. And basically that's a person that's being abused is telling a friend, I need help. Like I need out. Yeah. You went to shelters. What, what do you want people to know? What is out there? What are their options? Because obviously you hand your own personal money sometimes to friends that need mm-hmm. stuff. Um, you shared a story with me this afternoon of giving money mm-hmm. to someone and you help guide those people where where do we go from here like what awareness what kind of resources do we yeah, have what are the resources and what what do you recommend if if someone in my shoes knows that my sister or my friend is being abused do we talk to them do we confront them or is that the worst thing to do like what do we do if we know it's happening like your friends knew it was happening and mm-hmm. they didn't really step in so I said something to you earlier when I was feeding the homeless and this, this girl had a bruise and like, I wanted to save her. Like, and you're a lot like me, like we want to save the world. Mm-hmm. And then another person said, but you don't know if the person that abused her is standing over there behind a tree watching. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be careful because I could have hugged that person or said something that he may have heard mm-hmm. and caused her to get into more trouble. Like, you told her what did you did you talk to her in code did you tell her what was going on so mm-hmm. what is the best thing to do when we find out and how do we approach the person and where do we send them well i'm not sure of the resources i've been out of contact with resources um we can look into that together um i was actually looking into like making um business cards 
mm-hmm. and having them on you at any all times. The difference of me over 25, 30 years ago was that there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter, there was no Instagram. So the friends that I've helped um, reached out over Facebook or they just know me. They didn't know my past. Apparently my personality is a strong personality. <laughs> You're just generous and you're down to earth and people can talk to you. Right. So before I came, I called one of the people that I helped, that I thought I helped. And I said, hey, you know, I'm going to do a a podcast. I've been invited to do one. And, you know, I think I'm ready for this. I think I'm ready to pass this part of my life to be able to extend my arms, my hands and my knowledge to other people. And she thanked me. And she honestly said that she would not be. She's not where she wants to be in life, Mm -hmm. but she's not in an abusive relationship, you know, because I would just talk to her, you know, you told me you fought some girl because the girl hit you in school, but yet you're letting some man hit you. What's the difference here? (laughs) And this person is the person you've given everything to, you know what I mean? And, you know, what is, what is your meaning of love? Oh, he, he loves you. If you read the definition of love, none of those things that he's done for you has a definition of love to it, you know? So I think as for resources, um, reach out Facebook, you know, reach out to your shelters, reach out to, you know, anybody, um, to um, your church or yeah, the church and things like that. You know, the church opens their arms to anybody and everybody. So if you want to remain anonymous, you just look for the churches, you know, look for somebody that you can reach out to they won't ask the questions they won't keep a record of it you know it was just somebody that you can talk to and you and like i said that lump and will go away if you continue to talk about it and then when you listen to your stomach and the 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 sense that you have that it's all wrong you're going to make that move you know so anybody could you know reach out to the churches so what do you have to say to that person that's listening to that pod, this podcast and is in that predicament right now? Because obviously race, it, there's no discrimination against abuse. It's not inner city. It's not suburban. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's well-known people. I mean, you see it on TV, you hear about it. What would you say to that person who's in that abusive relationship right now to make them feel like it's worthwhile take that chance to get out well like i said i think that nowadays with the instagram the facebook and the the um facebook twitter things like that we have more so if you're at work and you need to reach out you know just share with your friend just ask a question you know everybody knows somebody that they can ask the question of what should i do you know, because we, we question ourselves. We start believing that the lifestyle that I had when that marriage was normal, that I'm supposed to get up and cook and clean and not have any money, you know, not talk to anybody. When you start believing that's normal, you know, you start questioning yourself, you know, you start questioning your sanity and things. So I think just reaching out to just one person, you know, is a, is a big step. Just anybody, if it's a friend, if it's a coworker, you know, or picking up you know, the phone and calling a shelter, they'll talk to you over the phone. You don't have to give your name, number, you can make up a fake name, but as long as you're talking to them and getting it out, I think that's the first move, just reaching out to somebody. I can only imagine how it would feel. It's got to be scary to be in an abusive relationship, somebody that controls you all the time. 
especially if they're almost threatening you to do something to you if if you do leave or act up or something like that i can only imagine i don't know how it feels but yeah and and sometimes it's not even sometimes and you you touched on it the things that he said to you sometimes the verbal abuse is worse than the physical abuse because you can get over the physical abuse like your body's going to heal but what they're saying to you and destroying you verbally and mentally is just as destructive would you agree it comes down to self-worth valuing yourself it is i think we all have our opinion of what we are worth but we do allow an abusive relationship you allow them to break that down you know my ex-husband used to tell me i was good for nothing that i was just white trash and that you know that's it you know and then i started believing that you know what i mean i was in the house all day long you know i have no work you know experience you know and i had nobody to to confirm that when it's just your voices in your head and your abuser you're going to start believing them and the sad thing is is that my kids believe that i left them behind for a m- another man or a crack and both of those were They're wrong they they were wrong you know so i believe that self-worth is you know what we feel inside you know a lot of people believe that they're um, worth a lot more than others. You know, a lot of people are just humbled. If you're just here, you know, and you're grateful for whatever you have, you know, we're, we're, we live in a society where, including myself, you think you need 30 pairs of shoes. But do you really need 30 pairs of shoes? You know what I mean? When there's people out there that have none, mm-hmm. you know, we really don't need these things. So. Your self-worth is something you carry on you like a badge of honor. You know what I mean? No matter how high or how low it is, you know, you carry that with you, you know. And then as women, you know, we should always support each other. We should never think that we are better than somebody else. And and that bothered me because if you knew that the person I was with abused me, why would you be with them? Because you're going to get abused too, you know what I mean? It's not like a once and done thing. These are issues that he needs to fix and issues that he needs to admit to, you know, to be able to move on to another, you know, to to another path in his life, you know. And I never understood that because as women, we should say, oh, you know, I'm sorry, it's nice to meet you. How, you know, what happened in your relationship, you know. And we should never think, oh, that's not going to happen to me because it does. It does happen to, like you said, mothers, daughters, you know, kids, you know, your sons, you know, and we just have to be respectful of other people. You know, we, we know that they went through a hard time. Don't ever think that you're not able to go through that because it happens. And like I said, it doesn't always happen overnight. It happens in a progressive. Oh, I don't like the way your friend Tom stares at you. And Tom and you've been friends for years and there's nothing sexually related to it. But just to make him happy, you no longer invite Tom to your house for your get-togethers, you know. You don't know if he's going to argue with Tom or if Tom's going to say hi to you in the wrong way. You should never have to live with that. Never. I agree. I think it comes down to trust, too. You know, if he's questioning, like, who the father of your children are, like, that, that's disturbing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's, where's the trust at in that? Yeah, there's so many opportunities that, you know, I wish I could have said, oh, well, yeah, guess what? <laughs> the, the kids are your brothers or, you know, just to get that, aha, that little, you know, 
stab in there, but I can hold my head high, you know, and these, these are his children, you know, and I have a relationship with him and I have awesome grandchildren, you know what I mean? And he's not, he's a hermit in his house. He goes nowhere. He has no friends, you know, I'm not saying that God is a God that punishes, but you know, when you do things that are not acceptable in the eyes of God, you know, you that's what happens. I don't, I don't know the religious part of it and stuff like this, but you know, if, if you change, accept what's going on and move on from that, I think that you'll be a better person. And that's what I had to be. I had to be a better person for my kids. And I knew that if I stayed, that I would end up killing myself or killing him. And that would have done nothing for my children whatsoever. Nothing. It, it got to the point to where I, I just couldn't do it anymore. So let me ask you this question. Your children still to this day, do they still believe what he said? I would say my daughter does because she missed out on the most. Okay. She didn't have anybody to teach her um, feminine things, you know, how to put the wrong properly, you know, or your monthlies and things like that, you know, and nor was I able to communicate with them. Um, it happened that when I married my husband, his sisters were in my kids' class. So I got to sneak them money through them and I would buy them clothes that they would wear only at school and they would lock the clothes in there because they wouldn't have anything. Their dad would, I mean, he provided for them, you know, he was always a good provider for them, you know, but they didn't have name brand stuff. You know, he, he was not one to buy name brand. So I would buy things and send it with them. But I struggled. I believe I struggled with my relationship with my daughter because of that, because she, he still blames me for where he is in his life. You know, he thinks that he would have been in a better place if I would not have left. I would totally disagree, you know, but, um, I had told her one time, I said, you know, no, I'm changing my when they turned 15 and 16, I went to court. I sold an extra car that I had. And I said, look, I'm not going to live another day. My husband's like, let's go. We're going to take your kids. So we went down and we filed for custody for them. And the judge um, wanted to know why, you know, I wasn't allowed to visit, why he didn't uphold his visitation of every other weekend and holidays and stuff. And, um, at this time the kids were able to speak for themselves. So they brought in a mediator and they decided that I could get 30 days with the kids to come stay with me. And then, um, they were going to review it after that. Well, within two weeks and mind you for the eight years, I paid him support because he had two and I had one. So all my taxes would get deducted. And that's when I started picking up second jobs. When I worked my second job, I could work extra hours there because they don't, they can't take that from you mm -hmm. that's your full pocketed money so um we went into court the kids stayed with me for a month within two weeks he had gone back to the courthouse and told the judge i tainted the kids and i don't want and he doesn't want them back and the kids were so excited to come stay with me you know um they get to see their brother they get to see i had a daughter from another um another relationship and spend time with them and stuff and it was i went from you know I had a husband now and I have my four kids, you know, and I'm elated, you know, we're working, you know, they're getting to school and everything is working out and things like that, you know, and then it came down to him paying support. So he calls me the day before the support hearing and he says, Oh, I want to give you a hundred dollars a week. 
And I said, per kid. And he's like, no, a week. And I'm like, how you want me to raise these kids for $100 a week? That doesn't even cover their haircuts. It doesn't cover, you know, sporting. Because, you know, my son was an avid runner and he was in choir. And my daughter was in JRTC. And um, I said, nope. I said, let's go to court. No, he said, I said, $300 a week, 100 per each kid. And we'll call it a day. He said, no. We went to court and they ordered him to pay $480 a week. So he, that have, he paid me one time. He quit his job. So when you live in the projects, your rent goes down to zero. So he now doesn't need a job because he still has a, a roof over his head. Not like 90% of the, mm-hmm. the people, you know, if you lose your job, you end up losing your home as well. Um, and then he filed for Social Security. So um, disability, so he didn't have to pay support for the kids after that. So there's glitches in the system that I wish that um, other people, um, whoever, government could look into. Because, you know, I think there's so many walls that you run into as being an abusive person, like not enough beds at the shelters, you know, not enough um, people to talk to or to just to vent to, you know. Um, things like, you know, how does somebody that abused you for eight years get custody of your children? Yeah. You know, so I think there's a lot of walls you run into, but you just have to know that at the end of that journey, you are going to be a better person overall. Well, Kim. That's awesome. Kim, this story is phenomenal. Um, Austin's been quiet. He's just listening because it's touched so many already. Like even myself, I'm just sitting here thinking about things that we let happen. And we have, it all comes down to self-worth. Just like you said, like everybody deserves better, no matter what that other individual tells you. And it's just not guys. It's not that you deserve better. You have better. You have better. You decide whether you want better or not. Right. But you have the choice. You do have the choice. That's correct. And this isn't just men abusing women. There are men out there that women abuse and it works both ways. So for the men that are listening, like it's not unmanly of you to get help. It doesn't mean that, you know, you're this weak person because you're allowing a woman to do this because again, it can be verbal abuse as well. And to your point, everything's happy at the beginning. They don't come out and just start swinging at you. Like it just slowly, they slowly make you feel like you're not worth anything until you believe it. I believe that everybody has a story to tell, you know, like your son and his ex-girlfriend, you know, your story, my story. Everybody has a story to tell and it's the degrees of it, you know, and you, you want to be an advocate to where, you know, um, they can reach out to you, churches, you know, the shelters, wherever it may be, just reach out, just reach out and talk to them. You know, like I said, it may not be, you may not be able to communicate with somebody in front of them or around them, mm-hmm. but, um, in any Avenue. So to me, the business cards is what I would advise for you to do, you know, and I wouldn't put it in. If you need to talk, you need to help Just say, you know, this is, you know, Kathy's associates, you know, if you ever need anything. Just give me a call because if he finds it, he's not going to know what it is. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? He's not going to know that this is an outreach for her. You know, you can name it whatever you want. Kathy cookies, you know, (laughs) you know, whatever it may be. So you hand that card to them and it's some off the wall business that's not going to get them in trouble. But they have that card that if that individual finds that card, you're okay. Yep. 
it's not saying counseling, family counseling or abuse hotline. Like you see in the bathrooms, in the women's bathrooms, maybe the men's, I don't know, because I don't go into men's, but mm. like where you pull it off and it says abuse hotline. Yep. If you stick that in your pocket and you go home and you forget you stuck it in your pocket, now you're in trouble yep. because you put that in your pocket. Yep. It's crazy that we don't think about things like even the, the piece of cardboard in the door. Like it's crazy that people live this way. Yep. And I appreciate everything that you shared with us. As far as reaching out to you, uh, do you have a Facebook or anything mm -hmm. that somebody can reach out to you? I have Facebook. Um, it's Kimberly Class, you know, my okay. legit name. Um, my face is there. My husband's face is there. Um, a lot of people reach out to me via Messenger, okay. you know, because it's a lot easier, quicker. You know, I don't have Twitter or Instagram. I wouldn't even know how to work them. Me either. <laughs> my, kids <call> me, <laughs> my kids call me H. And, but, you know, I, I'm on Facebook constantly. I don't even log off of it just because I, I wanted to be readily available for whoever would need just the talk. You know what I mean? Yep. And I don't... My honest opinion is don't let somebody treat you the way you deserve, less than what you deserve to be treated, honestly, you know. Okay. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks a lot, Kim. Thank it's you. It's been helpful. Um, everybody listening, everybody has self-worth, and you don't have to live that way. Kim's a living proof of it. She mm -hmm. went through a lot, and she's the kindest, nicest person you ever want to meet. She she doesn't judge people. She's always smiling. Um, she does it for she will. She's the person at work that gets the cards signed when somebody's sick. Like she takes care of everybody. She's like a mother hen. And we have a bunch of young people in the office. And when we get back, Kim will be taking care of all the young. She brings food for them. She brings cupcakes. She's just a genuine person. So thank you, Kim, for being here tonight. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for all the listeners that have uh, been following us. We greatly appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we'll catch you on the next one.